You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another fantastic episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I am your esteemed host, Andrew Lowen, and I am joined, as always, by Rick and Sexy Irish Sean. How are you guys doing? Hi, guys. What's up, nerds? <laughs> that does not sound sexy at all. We're, we're actually going to uh, dive into an old notebook of Sean's because he found some talking points about business from a an Irish conference that just sounded awesome, sounded super relevant to everybody that would listen to this podcast. And no matter where you're at in the business, if you're kind of new, if you haven't even actually launched a Kickstarter yet, or if you're a veteran, I think that there are lessons in here that will benefit you. So let's do this. But first, what's up, nerds? It's plastered all over Kickstarter. In fact, I thought it might be like be hard to find, but apparently it's the featured product on Kickstarter right now. One of my old school favorite shows, Mystery Science Theater 3000, is doing another Kickstarter for another season. And right now, I just pulled up their Kickstarter. Their initial goal is $2 million, which guarantees three episodes. And right now, they just hit the $2 million with 29 days to go. By the time you guys hear this podcast, they probably will have like maybe a week or two left. 10,000 backers so far, so pretty good. And they've made their goals. So we know we're going to get at least three episodes. Three episodes. I have no idea what this is. I've never seen this in my life. So this is like a, they re, they're re, recreating an old show. Is that the idea? We're sending them cheesy movies. La la la. The worst we can find. La la yeah. la. They have to sit and watch them while. Oh, I can't remember the rest of them. Sorry. I'm not really good with that song. But anyway, it is yeah. a very nerdy show about this guy who's trapped in a space station that goes around Earth. And the evil people that have trapped him there make him watch these old, old, corny science fiction movies. And then him and his couple robots have to sit down and watch them. And then they make fun of it. It's just pithy commentary of, about these stupid, stupid, like not even, you know, B movie would be exaggerating. I mean, these are like D minus movies that are so funny because of the commentary. That it's like, but some of them aren't too bad. I mean, you, you sit down and you watch them like, well, it wasn't too bad. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so Mr. Sean. I'm curious to know about this old abandoned notebook that you had where you had all these secrets written into them. Is this, is this like the secret? Sounds like then it got lost and forgotten and now you, you found it again and he's actually got the notebook. Look at that. He just flipped the page. I saw him. Do you know Nicholas? Why is it, why is it pink and purple? That's what trendy uh, designers design their stuff like when you go to a a trendy design conference. And is that the number? He's kind of above questioning in this area because he's sexy and Irish. So he would know. I think the largest convention in the world is the San Diego Comic Con. Am I wrong about that? Well, it depends. Comic Con is capped at 130 ish thousand people. So, because we have these crazy fire laws in California, so we can't. I say it smells so bad in there. If it wasn't, if it wasn't (laughs) capped, yeah, bunch of stormtroopers that forgot their deodorant, dude. If it it is, it's it's just really bad. Um, It's all these teens running around with bo problems. If it wasn't capped, I would say it would be the largest. However, there's a couple in Europe that are a little bigger inside. Comic-Con also has outside events. They have third-party events. They have events at other hotels as well because the convention center is full. Overall, with all those people that that hang around the San Diego, it's almost a quarter of a million people. Let's get into this, Sean. So first of all, can you kind of frame this a little bit for our audience? I know the notebook is... You know, you went to a business conference, but and you wrote some notes down and and that kind of thing. But will you kind of 
enlighten us? Sure. Yeah. So I was cleaning my office and I just found this old notebook and I was just flicking through it. And I was like, oh, I had some notes here of this conference I went to probably about three years ago by this stage. It was a creative design conference. My brother's a graphic designer by trade. So he went with me and we went to this creative conference. So it has everything from graphic designers to filmmakers, from people who are involved in print to people who are involved in advertising. It's just a, a, a big conference. And there was some speaker, I can't remember the lady. <laughs> she gave a, a pretty good talk on basically the business of the creative design space, but really it was just business advice in general. And I was looking through it. It's like, oh, these are some pretty interesting tips. They're good things which would help anybody in any industry. And I was thinking that would make a good episode. So I suggested it and here we are. <laughs> That's awesome. So we have a list of eight bullet points, I guess, eight uh, listed points that we're going to be kind of going through. And we're just going to be riffing off of what kind of comes to mind as a result of, of these things. So Sean, you want to start us off with number one? Number one is be obsessive. And this is really about showing customers that you care about them. So it's being obsessive of the details and being attentive. And that's important when it comes to Kickstarter. You need to really be aware of all the little details. First of all, just the workload, all, all the things that need to be accomplished and, and done and being able to delegate that to different people and organize yourself. But also the, the little details on manufacturing, because when you're dealing with the economies of scale, which is what you're doing with board games, the little details can have you know huge impacts on your profits down the road. So it's obsessing over those small little things is really important when you are approaching Kickstarter and the board game industry as a business. There's also another tidbit of information that people always fight over. And that's that's the uh, the term. Should I go after my passion or what people want? And I think it's the same thing. If you go, you know, if you go for your passion, you're going to be really, you know, into it. You're going to be very obsessed, and you know, people are going to notice. But then at the same time, what if it's like you're obsessive, but no one wants your Kickstarter? <laughs> I know it is. It is delicate. You know, if you don't have customers that care, then it's uh, being obsessive is kind of just, you know, creepy. <laughs> so we have a hobby. You don't have a business. Right? Yeah, that's true. Exactly right. I mean, you can't just create any product and have people obsess over it. If people are making demands of you, they want more information, they want updates and, and things like that. That's usually because they care. So you should match their level of care and then add one, right? But if you don't have those people who are huge fans of what it is that you're doing, you probably, I just feel like you didn't create a product that people care about. That's one of the challenges here. You know, going back to that Mystery Science Theater 3000, that is a good product that people care about. And as a marketer, whenever I market something or we as a team market something, it is so much easier to get the job done when it's a great product. And a lot of the time it's your positioning and other things like that. In addition to the actual quality of the product, man, it's good when people care. The number one thing that came up in my head when you read that was communication. How do you show customers that you care? You communicate in, in a timely manner. You do what you say you're going to do and, and that sort of thing. And there are really two major segments of this in my head. One is before your Kickstarter and 
before and after Kickstarter, maybe three segments for me. Before Kickstarter, you've got right after your Kickstarter, and then you've got right after your fulfillment. I think those are three different segments. And and there are a lot of the time, you know, people will always think when they're starting a business in this in this industry, they uh, launch their first Kickstarter. They try really hard because, like you said, Rick, they're very passionate about this product that they have. It's it's their game and the thing they've been working on or whatever it is that for the last however many years. And it's really easy to be passionate and obsessive. And when your Kickstarter is live, you're probably looking at that page for a good six, eight hours a day. You know, it might be on a new tab, you know, while you're working or maybe it's on your phone or something, but you are checking that thing more than you should. Refresh every two seconds. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) I got a backer. Oh, I lost a backer. You know, don't do that. Uh, by the way, <laughs> the idea that a lot of people don't think about is after your Kickstarter, number one, it's very important to tell people what you uh, what they should expect of you. Um, so this is really important. In fact, the uh, CEO of Simon, his name is Churn, and uh, I actually can't pronounce his name or I've never rather I've never been told how his name is pronounced, but very, very smart guy interacting with him on a lot of Facebook groups and whatnot. And he is very adamant about, you know, Kickstarter is a contract between you and your backers and whatever you tell them is what they should expect of you. They're not these blanket rules that people should expect. Oh, you need to update us once every month or, or once a week or whatever, you know, that kind of thing. You need to set expectations up front. And I think this is part of caring. So you have to protect yourself in a way because you need to sleep, you need to eat, you need to spend time doing what you love to do outside of work. And Kickstarter is so easily able to threaten your all of those things, you know, your sleep, your, you know, work, your fun time outside of fulfilling this thing. You need to set expectations of I will respond to messages 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. or I will not respond on weekends or my, or Sundays are my day off or whatever it is. Those expectations you can always point customers to when they get upset that, oh, you you know, I sent you a message on Friday night at 9 p.m. and you didn't get back to me until Monday morning. It's a lot easier when you have written expectations for your customers. Now, all that said, the, the, the importance of communicating on a regular basis is, is like the foundation of showing people that you care. So if you are not communicating on a regular basis, if your updates come in only when quote unquote, there's something important to share, that is going to get a lot of people angry. It's more important in this industry to communicate and say, there's nothing to report. Our games are still on the boat. They're going to be there for another four weeks. It's more valuable to share nothing and to actually communicate than it is to, to just wait until the Suez Canal clears up and then send a message saying, oh yeah, we're, our, our stuff's moving again. It is more important to hit your benchmark of communicating, of updating once every whatever time period you set. So once a month, some people do every three weeks, some people do every week, twice a week. I mean, I would recommend once a month. That's my kind of go-to. You can update more frequently if you have something to share or something that you really need to share. But I would say set expectations at once every three weeks to once every month. And obviously Um, coming up to a Kickstarter, you're going to increase that volume. Yes. So, and really when I say once a month, you know, you've got your email marketing before Kickstarter once a month, you've got, hopefully you've got a community that you've been building that you communicate more often than that. And then yes, absolutely. When your 
ramping up to your Kickstarter, you communicate more. But after the Kickstarter is over and after the lights turn off and, you know, the spotlight's not on you anymore, once a month to keep your backers updated and, and engaged and, you know, following along because you've got all this work to do now that you raised a million dollars or, you know, a hundred dollars, whatever it is. That's really important. And then after your product fulfills, people are going to send you emails. They're going to ask for replacement parts and that kind of thing. And you need to be very responsive. If somebody says, oh, my box came dented, it is more valuable for you to win a customer, uh, win a fan than it is to save 30 bucks on sending uh, you know, not sending a box. Like our policy is that if your box is shattered, that we don't replace it. That is legitimately the policy of some board game companies. And I just feel like you are not winning over a fan by failing to help them in their moment of need. And they may not ever have another moment of need with you because they are upset and you just didn't win them over. But if you send them that box and if you lose money on that one single interaction, you will make a fan for life that will talk about you and be an evangelist for you. And I think that is so important. I think an, another thing when it comes to ups, being obsessive is obsessing over the quality of your product. So it's being obsess, obsessive to have that great art in your game, make sure the rules are very logical and, and clear, having a great website that basically whenever someone is in, engaging with your brand, your product, they are engaging with something that you have put blood, sweat, and tears into. And that's clear. You've clearly labored over this. You've clearly put a lot of thought into it. And that will show. And that certainly helps with the marketing. Definitely. And, uh, you know, you have to be willing to listen to customers. I think that one of probably the biggest milestones in the development of deliverance has been the miniatures. So uh, the other day we had somebody join our uh, Deliverance Insiders Facebook group. This guy, yeah, he was so passionate. He's like, I make toys as a hobby. You know, he just like takes a bunch of parts from other things and he makes these really awesome toys and even puts them in plastic boxes and, and things like that to preserve them. And he was, he just was so upset that we did not have miniatures. He's like, you have to delay your Kickstarter. You have to do whatever you have to do because it would be so nice if you had miniatures. And it was nice to be able to tell them, yeah, we do. And, uh, you know, it's it's so common for somebody to, to log in, maybe not see, you know, they're not going to scroll through all the, the posts, right? But we totally do have miniatures. And so I was able to respond, you know, thankfully we have miniatures. Yay. You know, just to simply have listened to my fans on that. I told my fans, no, we're not doing miniatures like a year or two years ago. And they beat my door down so hard that eventually I just was like, all right, fine. Here's uh, our first miniature sculpt. And everyone I, just went I nuts. even yelled at Andrew about it. I'm like, you need miniatures. I bugged Everybody him for days. Did. Every day yep. I was like, miniatures, miniatures. Yeah, I, I remember playing Deliverance with Sam Healy and uh, he, he was like, okay, first thing, this game needs minis. And uh, second, and I'm like, okay, well, what's your second thing? Because I don't want to talk about that, <laughs> you know, because I'm not doing minis. Uh, yeah, we're doing minis, Sam. To actually be able to show customers, my customers that were my fans, that I care enough about what you have to say that I'm going to listen to you and I'm going to, you know, put myself through nine months of torture in order to get these minis finished for you guys. That actually really meant something to them. Point number two is don't stop. So it's like just, a don't stop believe it or is this like don't stop like my diet like i think it's like stop. don't stop me now i'm having such a good time <laughs> oh nice one nice one <laughs> we will be conducting the rest of the podcast episode as a song
this this I think is a tough one for a lot of people. I'm the guy who likes to create like all these ideas and then start them and then never finish any of them. And of course, none of them get done. And I know the two of you have heard some of my ideas and seen some of the stuff, and none of it's done. Uh, <laughs> and this also it's might like go. 10% done. It also, I think, goes with the first one, my, I, I believe, about being obsessive. If you're obsessive about something, you're not going to stop. And times may look tough and you may want to stop. But I want to say 90% of the time, try to go through it. And because at the end, you'll be like, oh, this wasn't as bad as I thought it was. This actually turned out okay. So you might have regrets. Or if you stop, you'd be like, well, you know, what if I kept following my diet or right. you know, following my, my Kickstarter uh, fundraising and, and let it go through? You never know what's going to happen at the end. And so, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's a tough one for me. It's that, that one is uh, close to my heart on things I need to uh, <laughs> do better in. <laughs> I'll, say, I'll say one thing about that is to me, don't stop. As a business lesson, what that means to me is don't quit. So I actually don't. I look at your ideas and the things that you've put together. You've you've had like a test text based like RPG. You've had like this like a fun idea for a mafia game. We 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 talked about that stuff. And I think that coming up with ideas is really the foundation of a creative person. You know, and that if you stop doing that, then that's where the problem is. And uh, when I you know when I was working on Deliverance, for example, I had other game designs that I'm working on and then deliverance all of a sudden just became the main thing that had the you know the most legs i guess um or you know the best legs to to actually become something people could be passionate about and eventually i decided to forsake all other things for the pursuit of deliverance i was you know became quite obsessive over that but i think that you know the exploration of ideas and uh working on things i mean you know it, it was uh it's very common, especially with board games, people are working on multiple designs and maybe they get kind of get stuck with a design and you're not quitting by letting something rest for a while and then coming back to it, trying to make it work and, and then giving it a rest, moving to other projects, other ideas, other designs, and then, and then circling back, you know, a year later or whatever it is. I, I don't think there's any problem with that. I think that uh, just the pursuit of creativity is, I think, the foundation of, um, you know, something greater. I was reading a quote this week and it said, when a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and trust the engineer. And there's certain times in life where things just look dark and nothing's working. And sometimes you, you just need to push through them. And mm -hmm. a lot of those hardships, and even if it's a complete failure, it really sort of refines your character and then lines you up for the next project. And mm -hmm. you're going to bring all this knowledge and experience from a failed project or a difficult time in your life to a new circumstance which would then propel that to success so it's just about being persistent in in relation to not quitting and what you said sean if you don't ever want to quit it is my view that you are not trying hard enough and or you haven't been trying for long enough if you haven't faced opposition either from outside or from your own what do, what do they call it um uh, imposter syndrome. I have imposter syndrome like crazy. There have been times in my marketing business that I wanted to quit. I mean, there was a time where I was minus $1,500 or I'm sorry, minus $300 in my bank account. I bought a burrito from Taco Bell that cost me $36. It's like a $1 burrito or whatever that cost me because of the overdraft fee. It was huge. I had $1,500 of bills due 14 days ago. 
So I have a little condo. My mortgage payment's like $950 at the time. And it was it was about to basically, you know, when you're more than 15 days late on a mortgage, it's going to go like on your permanent record that you are an idiot and nobody should loan to you for a while. And man, it was rough. And I wanted to quit because as a creative at the time, I was, you know, doing website design and, and other things like that. And I just didn't have enough work. It was, it was really tough, man. I was like, I just wanted to get, and really there is a positive to just having a paycheck that you can rely on every two weeks or whatever, you know, but man, I'll tell you what, I wanted to quit so bad and I'm glad I did not, you know, I just, the grass looked greener on the other side. And if I knew what I knew now, I probably would never start a business. I would never have started a business, but because I didn't know what trouble I would get into and found <laughs> myself experiencing adversity, I was able to muster up the courage to push through. And now, you know, here we are with this podcast. We made you it. You get guys. to hang out with me and Sean. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, another another yeah. quote I, I heard is, if the grass looks greener on the other side, it's probably a picture. <laughs> or it's probably because of the manure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so on that note, what's the, what's point number three? It just seems so relevant to what I just said. It says get paid because your skills are valuable. You know, this, of, this often comes to the offer that we, we talked about in the previous episode is recognizing that when you put the hard work into something, you've created something valuable and the exchange of money for that product or that service is just goes without saying so it's it's understanding your your value and and charging a, a fair price not charging something that's gonna you know leave you out or leave the customer out so it's understanding what's a fair price and charging that yeah i had a friend that is a board game designer went to kickstarter and did his uh you know had a successful kickstarter event he had a print and play that he that he did like a low quality black and white print and play for people to just have for free and someone was like in the print and play community they wanted they wanted a high quality color version and he was like yeah i'd be happy to do that let's i'll charge you 5 bucks for it and people were pissed about that some people were really upset and he's like dude i it's not like all of this art and everything was free i paid an artist i paid a graphic designer i thought about this and worked on this and play tested this for hundreds of hours and you're expecting it to be free. It is not free. There's value mm -hmm. to this. And I was really proud of him for, for, for doing that. I think it's maybe the problem with a lot of the, the way things are monetized these days is that they have the appearance of being free. For instance, YouTube videos, you think they're free content, but actually the reason a lot of creators are creating YouTube videos is either to get enough attention and you know, put ads on those videos or just to direct traffic somewhere to like an e-commerce store where they can make some money. So it has this veneer of being free, but in reality, it's, it is costing them and they're, they are expecting some type of financial exchange to happen down the road. So I think it, it has created in the consumer this, this false sense of, of what is free when actually there's, there's money to be had. Same with Facebook, you know, you think you're creating a free account, but you know, they're leveraging all your personal information to, you know, have highly, mm -hmm. so they can have highly targeted ads and, you know, business people and, and pay Facebook to send you ads. So, right. You think you're listening to a free podcast right now? <laughs> <laughs>
back when I was that freelancer that was negative in the bank and that kind of thing, I did everything I could to charge to be cheap and to be affordable and that kind of thing. Because really what it comes down to, a lot of people have this mindset. When I was that guy charging low prices, I felt like, hey, you know, I wouldn't be able to pay more than $1,500 for a website. So why am I charging people more than, you know, why, you know, I charge people a thousand bucks for a website, spend, you know, 150 hours on it and, and wonder why my bank account was so light at the end of the day. It's uh, one of those things that you have to charge what a product is worth to the market. And what this means, like for a board game, a little bit of math here, you know, the retail cost of a board game is based on at least a multiplier of five times the landed cost of that board game. And this is, you know, in, in most cases. So if it takes you $10 to get a, a board game printed and shipped from China to your fulfillment center, you know, like per game, maybe you ship 500 or 1500 or 5,000 copies of a game to a fulfillment center. Let's say it costs you $10 each game to do that. Well, the landed cost is $10. So the retail price should be 50 or 49, right? So that's how the supply chain works. You you need to be able to sell it distribute to distribution for a certain percentage of 40%. So that'd be 20 bucks that you get. So $10 you paid, $20 you're getting from distribution. So your margin is $10 minus whatever else, whether other expenses. And the eventual down the road, the retailer is going to sell it at their store for $50. If you look and say, well, $50 is just so expensive, I produced it for 10, I'm going to sell it for 30. Then number one, the supply chain won't work, which, you know, you, you the distribute, the distributor is going to want to buy it for 40% of the, of the retail price. So that is going to be like $12 or whatever, 1250. I, I can't, I math is hard, but, um, it's not enough to run a profitable business. So you need to, you need to charge what you have to charge in order to be sustainable. If you want to create a game and just let the world experience it and that's it, and you don't really care so much about a business, it's just a hobby, then charge hobby prices. But if you want to actually have a business and if you want to create a second game or better yet, if you want to reprint the first game because it was popular, then you better charge what it takes in order to develop the money to reprint after you sell out of all of your stock. That, yeah, that's very similar to that art, the, the famous article I saw. It came out like God, 10 or 20 years ago. It's that Nike article where how does a $9 shoe become $90, you know, in a store? And it's the same concept. You know, it costs $9 to make, but then it's got to get shipped out. And then from there, it's got to get import tax and customs. And then from there, it's got to be shipped again. And then from there, the, you know, the retailers have to sell at a price where they get, you know, they get a percentage of the profits too. Every step, there's, yep. you know, someone needs a profit. And then at the end, you still haven't even marketed it yet. So then you got to put money mm -hmm. in for marketing. I mean, yeah, it's the same thing. There's all these little costs that you may not realize you have now that's going to end up, you know, like, like when you get closer to the time of, of actually delivering the product, you're like, oh. I didn't think of this. Oh, I didn't think of this. And so it's always good to have that cushion. Um, like Andrew said to do like, you know, the, the standards usually about five times. Um, that way, in case things come up, you got, you know, a little bit of wiggle room in, in your in your margin for it. Quickly moving on to point number four, everything changes. And this is really focused on tools. Tools of the trade change. So don't fall in love with processes. Be willing to adapt. Be willing to learn the broader things of your industry of your of your market because the 
minutiae of individual tools and products change. Updates happen, things that work today might not work tomorrow, but there's sort of broader philosophies that a lot of what we've just spoken about will not change. And those things are, are good to think about and master so that you can adapt to the, the changing technology. Really buyer behavior is where everything is kind of founded. So when somebody buys something, you know, back in 1900, you used to go to your general store. He would have the milk from the farmer and the tools from the whatever the crafts, the blacksmith and other things like that in one place. And he would know your name and you would he would know what you would buy all the time. And you would be able to special order a thing and he would get it for you. And in like eight weeks, the oxen pulling the cart would finally get here. And is this one of your like realized RPG MMOs coming to life? <laughs> I'm just having fun. I don't even know what I'm saying right now. I'm just talking. But, you know, you look at 2021 and we do business over Zoom right now. We congregate in Facebook communities, on Discord, on, you know, we're trying to find other social networks because, you know, that's just that's just what people are doing right now. But we have a very, the world has become very small. I mean, Sean, you're in Ireland. We have Alex over in Colombia. You know, Rick and I are in San Diego. And that's just, we're able to do that because of technology, right? And so it's really hard. I mean, if you go to, you know, a grocery store, we have Vons, Albertsons, Publix, whatever. You go to a grocery store, they don't know your name. It's probably a new person stocking the shelves and, you know, that kind of thing. And so the way to market, the way to reach people changes. But the basic underlying philosophy of people buy products that are uniquely custom designed for them and their situation has never changed. All the way from the, you know, the old school 1900s general store to selling a product on Facebook. You want to niche down to the right person you're not trying to sell everything or you know your product to everyone who can fog up a mirror because they're alive the message that you use has to be something that solves you know their whatever their pain point is and the medium that we use which is where you know the three of us operate we operate we sell stuff on facebook right now we sell stuff on google we sell stuff on i mean you can sell stuff on all sorts of different places i'm sure you you guys could fill in the blanks i mean things change um I would say what three years ago, our business was dominantly SEO marketing, you know, on Google. And after a time, I mean, more people are migrating into Facebook and using Facebook as, as a service, especially in this niche of Kickstarter. And so this is like the dominant area, but you know, we are constantly looking to be ahead of the curve. We don't, I don't want to have some sort of social media platform that has amazing analytics and amazing ways to advertise to people to come out and me not know how to operate it, right? So what's number five? You're not that great. Keep learning and upskilling. So it's this idea that these sort of roll into each other, right? Everything changes. Well, because everything's changing, you need to continually upskill, continually learn the new tools, learn what's working, and always be in a state of learning. Never sort of just become stagnant. And that's kind of the whole premise of this podcast is a discovery of what actually works, right? Which will probably change. It also mm-hmm. reminds me of my good old days at the uh, local uh, college. About about four or five years ago, I decided I'm going to get myself an associate's degree in computer science. And I took all the classes and I got down to like one or two classes, but I had to leave because I had like work or something. Something prevented me from going to the class. And I can't remember what it was but I had to stop taking the classes. Well, recently since uh, COVID, everything's online. So I'm like, you know what? I could take online classes and like, this is great. Well, I sign up and I'm looking 
and all the classes I took are gone. They've been replaced with new computer science classes because, you know, things change so much in the computer industry. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, if, if you're not on the top of the curve, you're going to have a big surprise when you just show up and be like, oh, yeah. And then I have like I literally have to retake the entire course. Like there's no like there's like maybe one or two classes out of all of them that are OK. Because like there's computer basics. I mean those don't only really change windows windows doesn't yeah. change because of bill gates thank you bill gates uh, <laughs> but yeah one time so, they got rid of the start button and i was not happy so when yeah, is it? yeah always always learn uh this is also true in seo i do a lot of seo and like every month you know google's got a new algorithm they got a new thing oh speed is in oh, no it's out now it's all about you know this or that and it consists you know and everyone has an opinion and it always is changing so, you know, I usually, what I do is I keep, I actually have all these news groups I have saved and I go through those all the time uh, just to see a lot, because a lot of it's here, say, you know, especially in the SEO industry. And so I actually keep track of like the, like the things that people keep repeating, like, oh, this, this source said it, and this source also said it, and this source also said it. So it might be, you know, something to look into. So yeah, if uh, you got to keep learning, you got to keep um, current uh, with, with, with what's going on, you know, around you. Otherwise, you are just an old fuddy-duddy like me. Yeah, and, and I don't think people will want to pay somebody that stops learning. You know, one of the things that I constantly preach is that when our clients pay us, they're paying us to think. So they're not paying us just because we're an expert and just because we know what we're doing, that we are in a process of discovery with each individual client. The other day, we met with one of our uh, larger clients and, you know, in the board game space. And it turned out that we had been developing uh, the ads that we had developed and implemented earned an average return on ad spend of about $34 for every dollar that we spent. And if you're not familiar with the way that ad spend works, if you make $34 for every dollar that you spend on advertising, you should spend an infinite amount of money and you will have more money than Elon Musk at that point. (laughs) Um, That's basically what Warren Buffett did. I think he got like a 23% return I mean, on average. If you get a two to one <laughs> you know, return, that's great. I mean, well, I mean so, you know, so there, so, there yeah. comes a point. You it's know, like three to one, I think. Yeah, most companies right? want a three to one just to, to, you know, to be to be safe. But yeah, what was that again? 34 to one? Yeah, it was about 34 to one. Some, some, you know, and it wasn't small dollars either. It was, it was like, you know, five, mid five figures that we had uh, generated for this company. And, you know, just in, in the week, right? So it, it would be quite easy to say, wow, we really know what we're doing. We're just rest, you know, we're going to rest on our laurels, but it, they're not paying us like a percentage of what money they're making. They're, they're paying us to, to get results, right? And so we can't just sit on our butt and say, oh, you made that much money. Give me a check now or whatever. But we should be saying, yay, that's excellent. How can we make 50 to one? You know, every company starts at a different place and certain companies are just going to have products that really sell. And in this case, this company has some very well-known intellectual properties that they work with and, and that sort of thing. And we just have the pleasure of, you know, selling products that people really want. And so it, it doesn't, you know, just because they make more money, it doesn't mean that we're going to stop thinking or that we're going to stop trying to innovate or, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Absolutely. Number six, surround yourself with people better than you. That's why Andrew hired me. I mean, <laughs> no, I'm, no, I'm Rick, you're, you're smarter than me and Sean, you're better looking. So Andrew is well surrounded, I guess. Yes, yes, I am very well surrounded. You know, actually, I will say this is that when I was 
you know, a solo entrepreneur by myself selling websites and doing SEO. I hired my first person back in 2014 and I really needed to do it earlier. It was very difficult to make my first hire because then all of a sudden I was responsible for somebody's livelihood, somebody's income, somebody's health insurance or whatever. I actually, we didn't have health at the time. We had like no benefits. It was awful. It made my life so much easier. I hired somebody to do the thing that I hated. I hated actually doing the website development. And I hired somebody that hated talking to people. All he wanted to do was sit in a dark room and do website development. And it was crazy the amount of efficiency that that uh, that I am my life just improved by leaps and bounds because all of a sudden the work that would take me 40 hours a week in addition to, to selling and to managing a, a business and managing a family and that kind of thing, it was just so much more, I guess, so much easier because I had somebody that could think and handle that. I think that surrounding yourself with people better than you would, would be certain skill sets, you know, people that are better at doing certain things or maybe that really love to do certain things. You know, when I, when I hire in uh, for my, for my company, I try to put somebody in a position where they really enjoy doing that thing, you know, and, and I actually, Sean, we recently hired a new employee. His name is Ryan. And the intent is kind of for Ryan to take some of the stuff that is super time consuming for you. Right. Because, yeah. because the whole Kickstarter thing is growing a lot. Mm-hmm. If, if your goal is to produce something for Kickstarter, then guess what? You want to talk to people who've done it. You want to know people who have gone through the process, who've already had a Kickstarter, who, who can tell you what worked and what didn't. I mean, you don't want to go online and be like, hey, guys, can you tell me uh, how to make a good Kickstarter? And some, you know, Joe, Joe Blow comes on like, oh, yeah, well, you need you need people. People need to like yeah. you. And like, okay, that's nice. Just no, get you a want, thousand emails. You it's need like, people right. in your... What they call it tribe. I think uh, Seth Gooden calls it tribes. Make make a tribe. Mm-hmm. Um, you need people in your tribe. <clears throat> hopefully, we don't get in trouble for copyright. Um, that <laughs> that will <laughs> help you with the things that you need to get done. It's also about having mentors, right? People you look up to, people you want to imitate. You can see something admirable in them, either it's a skill or a quality, and ha- having them have influence in your life and being in contact with them. And and, and I think that that idea of having older, more experienced people around you is very useful to have. And I've, I've tried to surround myself with people who have expertise in IT or expertise in different fields so that if I run into issues, it's just, they're just a phone call away and I can get some, get some counsel because, and then it, it works with them as well. If they need anything that I have, the skill set that I possess then. And I just think that's, that's a good way to, to build your network is to to keep that in mind. Definitely. A good CPA, a great graphic designer, a great concept artist. I mean, all of these things are things that I can't do, you know, that just a bookkeeper. I hate looking at my books. It's like the thing that I, the very first subcontractor I ever hired was a bookkeeper. And I am so glad I did because boy, do I not like looking at QuickBooks. Um, (laughs) I just send him an email and say, send me my profit and loss or send me my income statement or whatever I need, you know, to get this stuff for taxes, let it be so. And then he says, okay. And there it is. Number seven, be careful what you wish for. The grass is not always greener. So I suppose this comes down to expectations. You could have a certain expectation. Oh, if I have a very successful board game, my life will look like this. 
or I will feel like this. And when it happens, it's like, oh, it's nothing like that. In fact, there's all these negatives associated to it. And I suppose life is just about trade-offs, isn't it? You know, if, if you have this, it's going to impact some something somewhere else. So it's to maybe evaluate your goals and to really think about all the outcomes of those before you really dive into them, really commit yourself to, to those goals. Yep. You know, a lot of the time people look at Kickstarter and say, oh, if I could only make, you know, $300,000 on Kickstarter, I could quit this miserable job and get unstuck from my situation. That is not a mindset that will um, be healthy for you. Even if you make a lot of money and you make some mistakes, you, you, you could end up eating all of your profit margin and not having enough to go to McDonald's, right? But you still need to fulfill that game. So just make sure that whatever you're, you know, that you're not using Kickstarter as a scapegoat for some other element of life that is difficult. I think, you know, it, it comes to as well is learning contentment. It's good to have ambitions and goals and desires, but there's an element where they need to be held a little bit loosely because life is so, ch life changes and there's so many things out of your personal control that you need to be adaptable. I really think is, is, is key learning how to pivot and learning contentment and things which can't be taken away or things that can't be disrupted easily. That is probably where you're going to get a bit more emo emotional stability in order to have a thriving business. Yeah, there are sometimes um, in the past, not recently, thank thankfully, but I've been chewed out so hard by a client and it's just been like, oh man, they were really unhappy because of one reason or another. And at the end of the day, I, you know, uh, get up from the computer, I head back home and my mind transitions to family and other things like that. And I compartmentalize. I, I just tell myself, oh, well, that's just work. You know, work, that was just work. It was just a, you know, tougher work day to day and I'm fine and I'll deal with it tomorrow when I go back to work. In, in, in that way, compartmentalizing helps me to be content. It's interesting how like uh, if you sleep on it and wake up the next day, it's like, oh, this is how I solve the problem. <laughs> you like there's a lot of times I'll be like, oh, man, this is bad. This is I don't know how I'm going to fix this. And then I just sort of let it go and sleep on it. And the next morning it's like, oh, yeah, duh. OK, we're going. <laughs> we're, we're good. We're, everything's great. All right, Sean, what's the last? Number eight, don't get comfortable. So always be busy. Don't get lazy. It's easy to get comfortable and everything is like that's a very dangerous place to be in business where everything is going well because you can start to maybe put the pedal off the metal a little bit, get comfortable, and then suddenly the competition overtakes you and suddenly the things change and now you're stranded somewhere. And so don't get comfortable, always be striving and pushing yourself to do better, to improve your services, improve your products, improve your processes. That applies to Kickstarter, but it's just generally everything in life. Absolutely. But yeah, a lot of, a lot of companies, uh, especially in America, because we're just America, um, have failed because of not of getting too comfortable. Back in the good old days in the 1950s and 60s, a lot of major companies had like R&D research you know, divisions. And I, it seems like no one these days has. I mean, they probably do. They're just not announcing it. But they always were looking for the next thing because, I mean, that's how you survive. Like look at G&E. Um, they've been around forever. And they have, they, they, they own everything from toothbrushes to light bulbs. I mean, but they keep <laughs> researching and finding things. Yeah, it's 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 almost the same as uh, keep learning and upskilling, but yeah, 
Anyway, <laughs> I think that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. A big shout out to sexy Irish Sean for finally cleaning his office and finding that old degraded secret underground diary. diary of eight tips. That was a fun podcast. For yeah. And as always, if you like to, if you like this episode and you want to check out our other episodes, please visit crowdfundingnerds.com. And if you have any questions for us, head over to crowdfundingnerds.com forward slash question, and we will get that and answer it. And if it's a great question, it's going to end up on one of our future podcasts. So thank you all, my lovely nerds, for listening to us this week. And stay nerdy, and we'll see you next week. Wait a sec. Bye-bye. See ya. See ya.